0: Time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics. The biggest question marks. Answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash.
1: Well, folks, happy Friday. Happy day before the weekend. And happy football weekend to you all. It's episode three of The Critical Eye podcast. and, And gentlemen... I I start today with a old saying. It's a saying that both you, Jovan Johnson and Joe Lydneski might know. The more things change, the more things stay the same. A couple of years ago, I remember the Cleveland Browns make a big splash signing, right? Odell Beckham on the team. How can Baker Mayfield fail now? How can this offense be anything less than superb and sublime and wonderful and great? And whatever adjective verb you want to use. And now today as Odell Beckham is released from the Cleveland Browns, just a few days after the trade deadline and now potentially looking for another suitor, I think to myself, is it really the signees fault? Is it really Beckham's fault today? Guys, as I look at this situation, as we start off the show with this in Cleveland, a team that's now lost consecutive games in danger of dropping to sub 500. I think, I think we have to look now and say, this isn't necessarily the man's fault, but an organizational failure. You look at the stats so far on the season, Odell Beckham, junior 17 catches, 34 yards. There are 34 targets, 232 yards, no touchdowns, but he's second on the team in receiving. It's hard to be successful when the organization doesn't give you the chance. And you look at Odell Beckham, and I think he was failed by the Cleveland Browns. Joe, I'll start with you. What say you on this Friday?
0: Um, well, I, I guess it depends on, on who you're rooting for. When it comes to OBJ, I'm always rooting for the kicking net because I think OBJ is a clown. I think OBJ doesn't understand. And I I think you've got to look at it. You know, it, it never made sense for him to go to Cleveland to begin with. That was not a fit. You know, he's a, he's of the Kardashian ilk. Remember he used to wear watches on the sideline. He used to do everything that he could to get attention. And then through the grace of God and a little thing that Reggie White invented called free agency, the Cleveland Browns all of a sudden became The most dominant premier run game in the National Football League. More than nine yards a rip over Dallas at 161 a game. Jovan, you and I both know there's only so many possessions. There's, you know, all the mouths, the hands. I don't know why you've got the diva that is that position, but everyone's got one. He wants to be a number one. And let's be honest, he's not been any good since he's been a New York football giant.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, you know, one thing about Odell is he's such a once-in-a-generational type of player that he wants a number one attitude. Like, he's been a number one since he, since he came in the league. He's done nothing but make plays, you know, outstanding catches that get played on ESPN over and over and over again, you know, highlight reels. Uh, but, yeah, most receivers uh, who are number ones, for for a long time, as long as I can remember, have that diva mentality that that, you know, it's all about their mentality. And they they just continue to, to evolve. And, and no matter who becomes number one, they all somewhat act like that. And, uh, you know, the when Odell came to Cleveland, I think Cleveland fans and everybody in the organization said, well, we got a once in a generation player uh, pairing him up with his college roommate, best friend Jarvis Landry, the best dynamic duo in football. But, you know, for whatever reason, are you, Baker, Joe Bonner,
0: are you holding Odell as we speak? Is that OBJ crying in the background?
2: <laughs> no, nah, that's my that's just my daughter. But um, <laughs> but, you know, when you pair those guys together, you know, you thought that they were going to be outstanding. They were going to light fireworks every week and and so on and so forth. Uh, but there's a thing called injury that happens, and uh, and Baker Mayfield, uh, OBJ was once one of his top targets, and then this this past this season, currently he's one of his least targeted guys, and he still leads the or is second on the team in the receiving yards. So that that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. But I think it worked out for both sides, especially with the egos on both sides.
1: So gentlemen, here's where I have a problem. And, and a few years ago, I would have agreed with both of you. You saw Odell on the field as a New York Giant. He was that number one. And you saw him getting into fights with cornerbacks. Him and Josh Norman had a boxing match for the ages that was called an NFL football game where the Giants almost beat Carolina in comeback fashion a few years ago. Did you ever hear any drama from Odell, though, with Cleveland? Did you ever hear him? in press conferences, complain about his targets. Even when the last few weeks, he wasn't seeing the football. I think Odell Beckham made a mental switch when getting to Cleveland. And he knew to me that he wasn't necessarily going to get all the targets. He knew he had that talent on the offensive side of the football. I think you have to look at the quarterback. Baker Mayfield came into this relationship with Odell, and he was even said in the beginning He was so afraid to throw away from him with the concern of that diva mentality. But I don't think Odell ever had that. I just don't think Baker knew how to run an offense with a superstar wide receiver. He was in over his head. That's my problem. I don't think Odell's the problem here. I don't think he was ever the diva in Cleveland. You could say he was. I mean, let's let's face it. The reason he is out of Cleveland is not for something that he said. It's a video that his dad posted. And that's the problem that I have. I think if you would have told me that he left New York for reasons of diva mentality, I'd agreed with you. I don't think you can say the same here. I think things are different.
0: I, I'm not I'm not willing to, to blame the the quarterback when, when you look at I just I mean it's been a it's been a long time. Really, it's been a long time since OBJ has, has been that dude. And I think, I think it's, honestly, I think it's revisionist history. Um, you look at, I mean, you look at the NFL now, and he had a handful of good years. But, I mean, you look at the league now, and everyone's got that dude, you know, that sort of makes that, that splash play. But in terms of productivity, I'm not certain at any point in his career was Odell Beckham Jr. ever confused with being the best wide receiver in the National Football League. I think that he has always been a guy that is a, you know, what the the human highlight reel. But Larry Fitzgerald, he is not. You know, I mean, you look at a guy like Cooper Cup or DeAndre Hopkins or whatever. I mean, this is a guy that used to catch a lot of touchdowns. And when I say used to catch a lot of touchdowns, he had 13 touchdowns in 2005, or excuse me, 2015. He had 12 in 14. He was a highlight reel. Now he's had 17 since 2017 his numbers have not really fallen off again I think I think Jovan and I'm not that he's not good I don't mean that he's not good I just mean that he was a highlight reel and making spectacular one-handed catches is all fine and dandy but he was paid like uh you know like a, a Julio Jones or paid like of what like Cooper Cup is going to be paid, paid like DeAndre Hopkins is going to be paid. He's going to be paid like these guys when literally outside of spectacular catches. The most receiving yards he ever had in a year was 13.05. I'm sorry, he had 14.50 and 15. Cooper Cup is going to be, or at least on pace to be, a 2,000 yard wide receiver. Say what you want about Antonio Brown and his antics. Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr., other than being NFL wide receivers, their resumes aren't even close. OBJ is famous for the spectacular, not the consistent. Here's the issue. I
1: okay, let, let me step in for just a second, and Joe Vaughn will get to you. Can I ask you, Joe, what quarterbacks are throwing big receivers the ball? Let me list you the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL this year because you mentioned Julio Jones who by the way is nowhere to be found now that he goes from having Matt Ryan I think a hall of famer to Ryan Tannehill still yet to be proven so let's start at the top Cooper Cup with the LA Rams has Matt Stafford throwing him the ball Debo Samuel Jimmy Garoppolo, who hasn't turned the ball over, and Trey Lance, who we know can be flashy. Jamar Chase, oh, did I forget to mention him and Joe Burrow are arguably the best one-two duo quarterback-wide receiver in football. Devontae Adams, we'll get to Aaron Rodgers in a second, but I don't think it goes for explaining. Those two are virtually tied with the umbilical cord. Tyreek Hill having a down year with Kansas City, as are the Chiefs, right, with Patrick Mahomes, still fifth in receiving. Chris Godwin, Tampa Bay, Tom Brady throwing them the football. Odell Beckham has had Eli Manning and Baker Mayfield field field at some point, at some point you have to realize that success can't just be with those one-handed catches. Jovan, somebody's got to throw you the football that can actually read the field and be accurate. Am I wrong?
2: No, not at all. I mean, I, I, uh, disagree with Joe's assessment of OBJ as far as how talented he is. The guy is, and, and his prom in 14, 15, since he came in the league, has been one of the top three receivers in terms of the ability to make plays whenever, against whoever, at all times. And that's not even having spectacular quarterback play. I mean, Ob- Odell Beckham is, is arguably one of the best talented receivers that has come into the NFL in a long time. You know, his ability to do things that others can't do. Even when Antonio Brown was in his prime and Ben Roethlisberger was, was making great throws and had had all the, the tools under his belt, um, you know, he, he was able to do a lot of different things. You know, all of these guys had quarterbacks that were outstanding. And then you get OBJ comes in with Eli on his way out. You know, Daniel Jones. I don't even know if they even played together. And then Baker Mayfield, who nobody believes is is even noted as one of his best quarterbacks that ever played the game. So I mean, you got you got to give the guy some credit. I mean, he has been a number one in New York and comes to Cleveland and expects to, you know, excel with quarterback play that has been less than subpar all season. So. I mean, he he did take a backseat. He hasn't been the Odell of old, of the Devo Odell that everybody knows. That could, you know, bring all the attention in the world on itself. He hasn't been that guy, like you said. He hasn't been that guy. But at the end of the day, you know, everybody's gonna look at him and say, "Well, you know, he was that guy before, so he's gonna he's gonna have that stigma with him throughout his career." You also have to look,
0: though. You know, you mentioned all these teams that are not any good at running the football i mean the browns are number one dallas is number two baltimore's number three tennessee's four the colts are five the bears the eagles you have to go all the way down to the cardinals and bills but both of those have quarterbacks that like to run the saints the vikings the niners washington finally all the way down mid-pack you get the kansas city chiefs i mean i again like it's your identity like i don't think I don't think you can go to a steakhouse and expect a vegan menu. And I, I mean, I understand that it's not an optimal situation, but the Cleveland Browns have the best one two running back punch that the NFL's seen in I don't know how long. I mean, these are two guys that are of all pro ilk. And again, I don't know what a reasonable expectation is in that regard. And again, The the Browns, I mean, they have 14 rushing touchdowns. They also lead the league in that stat. They average over five yards a carry. They have 250 attempts, which is by far the most. I'm sorry, the, the Titans have 260. I'm just saying the Browns are, they have an identity. We can agree that OBJ is not a fit, but again, OBJ is not a running back either. This is not really who they are. Baker Mayfield is not, the, the, the game plan is never going to be for Baker Mayfield to come out and throw it 55 times and look like Mahomes. That's not who he is. But do, do we all
1: do we all agree then if Odell goes to a team with a competent quarterback, he instantly becomes better. Can we can we all agree with that? 100%. I, I mean, I, I, think, I think, again, my thing is, the, the, and I think, Jovan, you made a good point, the notion of the fact that we have to put all the blame on Odell for being a diva, it's hard when you have mediocre quarterbacks. it's just It's just impossible. I mean, look at Julio Jones. Joe, you brought him up a little bit earlier in the show. Julio Jones is not nearly having the season that he has had. When he had Matt Ryan, who isn't even necessarily an extremely talented quarterback, although he will probably end up in the hall
0: of fame, but he did, but Julio Jones never had to play opposite AJ Brown either, but well, but, but that. but see, I think, I think again, you have to look
1: at the quarterback who's throwing you the football. I mean, I don't think Ryan Tannehill is that spectacular. I guess we'll see in the next few weeks, but it, Again, as as much as the makeup of the offense is important, you look at some top teams, some of the big receivers that I mentioned, whether it's Kansas City or whether it's Cincinnati or, or Dallas or things of that nature. I mean, Joe Mixon is fourth in rushing for the Bengals. Ezekiel Elliott's up to fifth. They've got Tony Pollard there in Dallas as well. Daryl Henderson. Oh, by the way, with Cam Akers out 507 yards and five touchdowns so far. Number nine is Alvin Kamara, who people forget about. Uh, funny enough, Lamar Jackson's actually ninth in rushing. So I think for Odell here, the big question's going to be, who do you go to? Do you find a team that's able to give you success? I- I'll ask you guys before we move on here. Do you see Odell going anywhere this
0: season? And if so, what team? Well, I want to ask a question because you can make the parallel because Joe Juan and I have had this text message about Ben Simmons. There were teams that were pursuing Um, OBJ prior to the deadline. Now, here's the question I I don't think the Browns necessarily overvalue him. I think they would have taken just about anything they could within a realistic ask to be rid of him. But you got to ask yourself, what does the other teams value him at Joe Bond? Because if he is this still, in your opinion, I lead dog number one type wide receiver, um, you know, there's a market, you know, specifically. Kansas city. You know, you look at a lot of teams that are in need of dudes on the perimeter. You would think that there could have been a potential bidding war. I don't think I'm, I'm alone. I think there's a lot of other GMs that agree with me. Otherwise I think he would have moved at the deadline.
2: I I mean, I think the issue that, that the Browns faced when trying to move Odell was his cap number, his salary Um, teams weren't willing to give that up and pay that money for him. Not, halfway through the season Um, and then next year he has a a year where it's no guarantees so I mean they could have traded him in a year but you know nobody wanted to take on that cap number so now that the Browns have you know made a fair deal with Odell and and kind of lowered that number I guarantee there's going to be a ton of teams looking for his services Kansas City being one of them even though they don't really need a guy like Odell Beckham right now I think their biggest issue is in their running game because they don't really have one. Um, and then you're asking Mahomes to throw the ball a hundred times, which I'm sure he's okay doing. But there's going to be teams. I think I think the, the Green Bay Packers are, are a team that, with only Devontae Adams as a, as a proven guy in their receiving core, I mean, Randall Cobb's on, on his way out. But Devontae Adams, and then you pair him with Odell, give Aaron Rodgers another target to throw to. I think that makes the Packers very dangerous. But there's going to be a ton of teams looking for his services. I mean, the the guy can play football, and he's going to make anybody who he goes to a better football team.
1: Jovan, you made my transition so much easier because as we go from the Cleveland Browns, who have a tough matchup this week against Cincinnati, let's go over to the Green Bay Packers. I know they're not local. I'm not talking about the team. I'm not talking about how the Packers are doing. I don't know if any of you out there who are listening have been watching sports talk radio television for the last three days but you might know that Aaron Rodgers is not going to play this week because of COVID in his system and the rest of the Packers system as well a few other players are out with the virus. Aaron Rodgers said earlier in August that he was immunized when asked the question if he was vaccinated against COVID-19. It was found out this week that Rodgers not only lied about that but he also wasn't planning on getting the vaccine. Now, one way or another, we're, I'm not trying to say that you should or shouldn't. Again, that's a personal decision. And Rogers came out earlier this week and, and said as such. But there has been a lot and a lot of controversy over this issue, uh, telling the truth, not telling the truth about your vaccination status, if some players are getting more royal treatment than others. Guys, we're halfway through the season. This has not been a dramatic issue. I think there have been some players who have unfortunately had to miss a week. Is there a different standard for different players, whether it's pro, high school, or college, when it comes to the vaccine status and the coronavirus as it is?
0: I I think that we have a, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and it's, it, it's based on, you know, whether it's been science or opinion on, on how things have changed. Um, you know, I, I understand, I understand that everybody is entitled to their opinion. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be right. Um, you know, I, I think that, I think that the audience is the important one. And if it's a narrative that is, somebody is is willing to promote. Right. You know, so, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, who's entitled to his opinion. I mean, there are, I mean, there are people that are holistic. I mean, I I believe that's what his immunization is. And, you know, there's, you know, Kyrie Irving thinks the earth is flat. I mean, you know, I think he's a clown, but you know, I, you know, I think that, I think that he's entitled to that opinion. I mean, I also, I I don't, I guess I don't understand how we got to a place where, you know, we're, we're going to have people that, you know, you look at Colin Kaepernick and his new Netflix documentary and talking about, you know, civil rights and human rights, all while cashing a check from Nike. Uh, like, I'd love, I'd love to have a sit down with with Colin and, and, you know, just have a China conversation with him. Bring LeBron, too. Um, those guys are wrong, but they're not called out for it. Um, I, I don't understand... Not that I agree I'm vaccinated, not that it's anybody's damn business, because I don't understand the people that sit around like, oh, I'm one of that guys. If I'm vaccinated and the vaccine works, then it doesn't matter what you do. But I, I think the, the bigger question is, is that this is a much larger campaign that the NFL has been in bed with. Remember, the, the draft was sponsored by the vaccine. Um, but the, the Packers broke the rules. That's what, I think that's what this boils down to. And I just wonder if Aaron Rodgers is not going to be scapegoated, and then you know the moral compass that is the NFL gets to skate yet again.
2: I mean, I, I think that you know, yes, it's, it's opinion based on you know what your beliefs are, and and if you should or shouldn't get vaccinated. I mean, I think a lot of people have been misled uh, with the vaccine, and people saying, "Oh, the vaccine is gonna be the cure to." Uh, stop people from getting COVID where, well, I mean, there's been numerous instances where people have still gotten the vaccine and gotten sick and and passed away from it. Um, So it it leaves a lot of question marks. So I don't blame Aaron Rodgers for not getting vaccinated. I mean, it's up to one's beliefs and opinions, but you know, I blame the NFL for not making a mandate that states that you either have to, or, 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 you know, you're, you're not going to play. I mean, if that was the case, then I, I think it's on them and the ownership of, you know, the, the NFL and the, the Green Bay Packers as to why they allowed a guy to play and go out there and put other people in harm's way if, if it was mandated that they all had to be vaccinated. I mean, who's to say uh, that, you know, he may or may not have just said, you know what, I'm just not going to play this year if, uh, if they made it mandatory. I don't know. I don't know what the, the the laws are of the land and the NFL for behind being vaccinated or not.
1: Jovan, I, I want to ask you this in your experience playing professionally, w- whether it was a medical issue, whether it was a social issue, an economic issue, the, the big world issues um that we of course have going on in, in our country pretty much on a on a yearly basis, w- how much talk was there between the players about opinions of that, or if something should be done or shouldn't be done. And and I mean, was, was there, was there always a general consensus amongst players that this is kind of how the players feel Uh, or or was there always those differing opinions? I mean, what were the players takes on these big world issues that have contrasting opinions outside of sports?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we had on every team that I've ever played on, you know, you have you have player representation, you know, kind of like uh, Chris Paul is in, in regards to the NBA. Like, you know, every every team has player reps that represent that particular team. And when issues come up, you know, whether it be other players or, or whatever the case may be, those issues are brought to the forefront of the player reps and then the player reps then decide, OK, do we take this up the chain? and have a discussion about it? Or, you know, is it something that's minuscule and we just kind of, you know, let it blow over whatever the case may be. So, I mean, there, there's definitely been times where things have come up and it has to be addressed. And those are conversations that, you know, your player reps take to, you know, whoever's in charge, whether that be the general manager or or the head coach or, or whoever uh, the case may be. So, um, you know, things like this definitely come up. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers is probably one of the representation um, for the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, he would have been a guy who knew the rules and knew how to bend the rules and, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, he he knew what was going on. I just don't know if, if, you know, what happened was him telling the lie or if it was more so just him using big words and kind of confusing people on actually whether or not he was vaccinated or not.
0: Yeah, don't you think been... the bigger issue Don't you jump on, Don't you think the yeah. bigger issue here? I mean the, the NFL like acts like they're this moral compass, but they're not. I mean on the you know they they fired they they fired John or forced John Gruden out for using homophobic slurs and racial blah blah blah, but yet Eminem is going to be on the halftime performance. Have you ever read any of the lyrics from Eminem? Um, But I just wonder, are they going to sort of throw Aaron Rodgers under the bus? Now, I understand he really uh, ruffled some feathers with his McAfee, uh, Pat McAfee show interview. But I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, remember they had 650,000 emails. And when it came to the the owners, you know, Gruden was the the fall guy. There's no way there wasn't more stuff out there that would have gotten people in trouble. But the NFL and the owners set the rules up to your point about, you know, the mandate and what they should or shouldn't be. But now that we know that Rogers was not vaccinated, he broke all of these league rules that the Packers were responsible for enforcing. And I just wonder if this isn't, are, the, are we going to see Rogers be made the fall guy much like, you know, Gruden was the fall guy for a much larger issue. Remember, the athletic trainer in Carolina who went with, came from Rivera, with Rivera to Washington was just arrested for selling narcotics. But Gruden's language is what we found in these emails. Like, I just feel like this is another NFL cover-up to make sure that they still look good. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a big enough deal that, you know, he's only going to get hit by one of the wheels on the bus as it runs over him.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I definitely think they the the league has some issues that, that need to be addressed. Um, you know, in, in regards to the John Gruden situation. Um, you know, yeah, I think they handle that, you know, very, very poorly. Um, you know, because there's more people involved. And I, I think they're hiding behind the fact of, oh, it was him that said X, Y, and Z instead of releasing. The entirety of the conversations that were had, because there's more people than just John Gruden that were involved in this whole cover up or whatever uh, what they were trying to do. But yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is, is could potentially be the cover up um, for for the NFL if they suspend him, and you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah, they're gonna cover the tracks for for the Packers organization who kind of slipped the ball on, you know, allowing them to go out there and compete and knowing that he was, you know, was or wasn't vaccinated. I mean, I think they're definitely – the NFL is, is going to find a way to cover it all up and make themselves look good at the end of the day because all they care about is making money and not, you know, basically the perception I think is all a cover-up. The question will be this weekend how
1: much it's talked about on the broadcast. The Packers are taking on Kansas City – Uh, At Arrowhead Stadium, Sunday, 425, be a nationally televised game. The Chiefs, by the way, are seven and a half point favorites, which I think is absolutely ludicrous, but that's still my opinion. We'll see what happens. Uh, Again, Aaron Rodgers is not going to play. Certainly controversial. We'll see if there are any other players that come out and say they're also not vaccinated or things of that nature as we move along. Guys, I want to close out the show today. we got about nine minutes left to go. Uh, High school football happening tonight locally. A lot of playoff games going on. List them for you here. We've got tonight... Sheeran Cathedral Prep in the sub-regional at Dollinger Field, Maplewood and Cochranton, Reynolds and Eisenhower in the 1A playoffs. Greenville and Farrell is taking on each other in the 2A playoffs, and then Wilmington Northwestern. Jill Vaughn, you and I will be there for that. That's at Edinburgh University. It's our game of the week as the Wildcats try to take down the Wilmington Greyhounds. Saturday, some playoff games as well. Warren, General McLean, Fairview, Grove City, Harbor Creek, Meadville, and Hickory and Sharon. Uh, we're hoping for good games this week, guys, but Joe I mean, as you've seen with me and, and Joe, I know you cover a lot of high school as well. We have seen this year. And I think really more than any other years, a, a length of talent or a division, if you will, between teams at the top half of the echelon and the bottom half of the echelon. And for as much as we talk about how college football, is a kind of game where you talk about the top six programs, and that's about it. I think after this year, and the way, the way we've seen it, there needs to be some serious discussion as to how to realign classes or regions to allow for more competitive gameplay. I understand there's criteria. I understand there's proximity to it. I understand it's a matter of how many people you have at your school. But I think fans are starting to get tired of the fact that they pretty much know week in and week out if their team is going to win or not this weekend. And I don't think it makes the sport more fun. Is it, is it true in your guys' mind, and I want to start with, with Jovan on this, that high school football is almost getting into a realm in this area like college football in which it's the top few
2: programs and then the rest of the pack. Yeah, 100%. I mean, back when I played a high school in this area, we played at what they call the Metro. And that was like the inner city schools played each other. The, the Strong Vincent, East, you know, Central, Mercers, we all played each other. Um, you know, that make the, the league competitive. And then we would play in our district, we would play our own classification. And then the state playoffs, you play the teams in your classification. But I mean, that made everything more competitive uh, in a sense because you know some small schools played a school that might have been bigger than you but they might have not been as talented whatever the case may be it was it made for a con- competitive football and uh, and I think it's getting to the point where the regions are you know you have one good team maybe two uh, in each region so you're not really playing games that are meaningful until you get into the playoffs and, and that's kind of why we haven't really from this area minus cathedral prep had anybody that went downstate and made any noise because, you know, you, you don't play other teams that are competitive until you get in the playoffs. And then when you see somebody that are, that has played competitive games that are are built to win in those tough situations, then it shows up and then you kind of get steamrolled. And then that that's kind of where uh, it's been from for the area in a long time since I think General McLean won. Stayed in, and they didn't really play nobody either.
1: No, and I, I mean, again, being in elementary school that year that the General McLean won the title, I was at Edinburgh Elementary School at the time. That was just it. Uh, that was actually a year they lost to Cathedral Prep. They beat the Ramblers in 2005, and then 06 they lost but won the state title. You know, I look at a team, Joe, I look at a team, let's say, like Cochranton, a team right now that's undefeated. Mike Filippa, an unbelievable job of getting his guys ready to go every day. Uh, Jack Martinick, in my opinion, should be in contention for D10 Player of the Year, uh, the running, the senior running back for the Cardinals. But the, que- I mean, the question is, is uh, they've been dominant, but if they make the state playoffs, how far do they go? I just think that the, the disparagement between teams is difficult. And and I'm not saying a small program is ever going to beat a giant powerhouse. I'm not, I, I think we can all understand there are games in high school and college in which it's just going to be impossible for one team to beat another. But having competitiveness week to week, Joe, I really think it's possible. I just think it has to be sat around and talked about. What do you think?
0: Well, I want to sort of address something that is the elephant in the room. And it is, it's undeniable, and you can make this argument when it comes to you know California, Edinburgh, and, and Clarion as well. I say this because it's fun to say, but this is the absolute truth. The number one issue that we face is too many free condoms in the early 2000s. It's a people problem. Think about, Jovan, the size of Meadville, what it used to be. Erie used to have how many high schools? Now they have one. Franklin and Oil City used to be big schools. Sharon, you know, look at, you know, look at the Shenango Valley. I mean, you look at, and this is where, you know, you get, well, you know, the, the classifications, blah, 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 blah. By rule, you know, Dubois was a quad A school. Dubois had no business being in the same classification as the likes of, I don't know, say North Penn and Lansdale or Reading High that was legitimately like seven times larger than they are. They're not the same size school. I think it just, oh, it gets to a point where, well, you know, they got more than a thousand students. Let them go play with the schools that have over 3,000 students. It's not, that's not the same thing. Um, there's, I mean, it's a peep, it's a people issue. I mean, you look at how small the declining population of Western Pennsylvania is versus to you know the east when they don't they don't have that problem i I think that you know wholeheartedly you talk about realignment um you know even Erie high mcdowell i mean who would i mean we we think mcdowell's a big school right mcdowell's like the 29th largest school in pennsylvania in the grand scheme of things it's nowhere close to being a big school we just don't have the population in western pennsylvania that eastern pennsylvania does and therefore there's an extremely different imbalance in terms of what what brings to the table you know if if you give me a thousand kids to pick from I don't care how good your coach is if I have a thousand kids to pick from and Joe Vaughn's only got 150 to pick from mathematically speaking odds are and I'm a horrible coach I'm gonna have better players because you're gonna have better kids to choose from out of a thousand
1: it's a really good Really good point, Joe. And and I do want to get this conversation continued next episode when we talk on Monday, but we got about two minutes left, and I want to get your guys' picks in. Uh shifting back to the NFL really quickly, guys. Uh, we'll start with Browns and Bengals. Your guys' thoughts quick. I'll start with you, Joe. Your thoughts on that game. Who do you like?
0: I'm gonna go to the Browns. They're a they're a bleeding-dying lion, man. If they lose this game, it's officially over. Baker Mayfield's got too many TV commercials. He does have somewhat of an ego. I think he comes to play. I think they get it done because, remember, we did watch two weeks ago the Bengals blow out the the, Ra- the Ravens, and then we watched the Jets beat them.
1: Joe, really quickly, your pick for the Bills and Steelers, you like them both in those games? I do. All right, Joe Vaughn, how about you? Browns-Bills-Steelers game, who do you like?
2: Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the Bengals in this game against the Browns. I just think there's so many, yep. you know, storylines that they have to deal with and put up with. That they don't they don't come out to play unless Nick Chubb goes out there and runs for 150. I think the Bengals win that game in a close one, um, but I do think the Browns, I mean the Bills and Steelers win uh, over the weekend.
1: My have the tides turned in the middle of the season, folks. What an episode! Good stuff on a Friday as we get you ready for the football season in playoffs for high school as well as college and the NFL. All right, Joe Vaughn and Joe will be back with me on Monday. We'll do overreaction Monday, talk NFL, high school, and college as well. Gannon Mercier is playing this weekend game of the week tonight, Northwestern Wilmington and Edinburgh university. We've got all your highlights and football Fridays at 11. This is the critical eye podcast. I'm Isaac Peckash. Have a good weekend. We'll see y'all Monday.